Good morning, everybody. You guys doing good? Good, good, good. I got a couple announcements just real quick before we dive into the Word. Uh, unfortunately, Pastor Ross is not here today. Uh, his family had a death in the family. Uh, it was Abby's grandfather. So they're in Ohio at that service. Keep them in your prayers. And uh, because of that, we kind of had to switch some things around schedule-wise. So let me let you know the, uh, the first step class, which is like our membership class, has been rescheduled to March 10th. So if, you, uh, if you're looking to go to that, it's, uh, registration's still open. You can still sign up on our Church Center app or the website, so do that. Also, next Sunday is Family Worship Sunday, which is when we all just come together in this room. We only have child care available or children's ministry from nursery to three years old, I think. It's up there. Just trust what that says. Um, so make sure you're in here on Sunday. And then lastly, we have some exciting stuff to tell you about some new elders uh, that the, the elder team and Pastor Ross has been training. And you can see their faces up here. I'll just read what Pastor Ross says. The elders have uh, examined, trained, and nominated two men, I believe over the last six months, maybe more, who feel they are qualified to serve as elders based on the biblical principles found in Timothy and Titus. These two men are Troy Mangrich and Dr. Dale Piper. I know Dr. Piper's sitting right here. Can you wave your hand, buddy? Is Troy, is Troy in the room? There he is right back there. Two men I know and love. These are, these are great men of God, so it's, we're really blessed that they're willing to serve. So if you have any questions or concerns about them serving as elders, please speak with our chairman of the elders, Troy Nab. You can email him and find his info on our website, I believe. So um, that's it. We're going to dive into the Word. Can we pray together one more time? God, we are giving you all the glory. We thank you so much for just a great time of worship and, and meeting with you. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts, open our hearts to what you have to say, and we will humbly respond. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. amen. All right. As you know, last, uh, well, actually, the last couple of weeks, we've been in a series on the book of Daniel. And um, last week, we did chapters 9 and 10. Uh, Pastor Ross really did a great job laying the foundation and providing great insight for what is one of the most difficult passages in the Bible to understand. And I really appreciate his leadership on that. Um, honestly, a lot of pastors would probably just skip this stuff because it's hard to understand. And so I just appreciate Pastor Ross's leadership on that. And so just because of the extenuating circumstances, I'm filling in. And um, I thought that this week it would be really helpful to build on what he started last week by zooming in on a particular verse at the end of chapter 9, verse 27 of Daniel 29, which is a pretty controversial, hard to understand verse, in order to get some more clarity about what this means for you and me. Okay, so this, I'll make you this promise today. I'll make you a deal. If you stay with me for the next 30 minutes, I promise you will walk out of here with something practical for your life, something that's going to touch your heart and is going to move you. So can you guys do that? Can you say yes if you're in agreement? Okay, thank you. So as we've established, Daniel 9, very hard to understand. <clears throat> and as a result, a lot of Christians dismiss it. Like, I don't get it. It's, it just doesn't make sense to me. I'm moving on. I'm over it. They dismiss it instead of embrace it. Part of the reason people dismiss it is because it's not explicitly clear. If you remember from last week, it's like, what does that mean? Who's it talking about? When's that going to happen? Huh? Just a lot. It's like, it's just not clear. But another reason Daniel 9 and many other end times prophecies that talk about the return of Jesus also get dismissed is 
Because, let's be honest, it's taken a lot longer for Jesus to come back than we all thought. <laughs> right? Like, I wish he would have come yesterday. It would have been a good day. It would have been a good day for him to come. But he didn't. In other words, every single generation since the time that Jesus ascended back into heaven till today, every single one believed that Jesus would come back in their lifetime, but he didn't. So after 2,000 years of disappointment, if we're honest, people have kind of gotten a little weary of somebody drawing attention to the end times again. Like they say, when somebody brings it up, like, man, really, this again? You know, everybody has always been saying this, and everybody has always been wrong. So please, can you just leave me alone about the end? Can we talk about something else? And what's interesting is that for the first time in history, I believe, our generation is starting to believe that Jesus actually won't come back in our lifetime. That's a really interesting shift culturally. The reason I know this, I've had just so many conversations, old people, younger people, who, who just like, they, particularly people from a couple years ago that got involved in the Left Behind series. You guys remember those movies and the books? Uh, just like people experienced the fear of God and gave their life to the Lord because they watched the movie and they're like, dude, Jesus is coming back on Tuesday. I know it. I don't want to go to hell and I'm going to give my life to the Lord. I'm going to say yes to God, which is awesome. But now a few decades later, they've become bitter. Why? Because they thought Jesus was coming on Tuesday and he still hasn't in 2024. So whenever this topic comes up, they kind of get triggered and they have a, a really negative attitudes towards it. Anybody, can anybody relate to that? Like, you know anybody like, like yeah, this is, it's okay to be disappointed. But the question I want to address is what our attitude towards end times prophecies should be. Should we be dismissive of them or should we be receptive? Now, as you know, we've been going through this book. It's hard. Daniel 9 is hard. It's hard to understand. And yeah, it's taken a lot longer than we thought for Jesus to come back. But just like we sang, bro, bomb song this morning, should we let our feelings dictate our actions? I, I, won't, I won't sing it to you. That was such a good song. Song number three, The Bridge. You should, that's my whole message. I won't bow to idols. I'll stand strong. Just think about it. It's coming back later. Should we allow our feelings dictate our actions? Or maybe here's a better question. What does the Bible say about how I should respond or feel about prophecies and the end times? Now, I have great news for you. As we go through the scriptures, we're going to do that. We're going to see what the Bible says, and you, you can figure out what you need to do. But here's the good news. We have a huge advantage in this day and age over the generations before us who were in Daniel's time and in, in, in the Old Testament times when Daniel gave this prophecy, he's like, what the heck does that mean? And they're like, I, I don't know, we're just going by faith. But we have a huge advantage because of two things, and they are this right here. Number one, Jesus talked about this. He talks about the end times. And number two, the apostle John wrote about the end times in the book of Revelation. They didn't have that. You do. This is a massive advantage for you and me. And so we're going to dive right into what Jesus says, just so we could take the pressure off a little bit, because it's actually really helpful. You guys ready? Come on, let's do it. Matthew 24. 
Jesus takes the entire chapter to describe what's going to happen in the end times. Did you know that? He spends a lot of time talking about it. There are a lot of details and warnings in there that we can discuss if you want. But, he, you know, he talks about wars and rumors of wars and famine and earthquakes. All these things are going to be happening. It's going to be crazy. But the summary of his instruction to us is found in verse 42. Let's look at that. These are Jesus' words. Matthew 24, verse 42 says, Therefore, what? Keep watch. Keep watch. Why? Because you don't know on what day your Lord will come. That's what Jesus says. So when it comes to the end times and these weird kooky things called prophecies, our job is to what? Keep watch. The Greek word for keep watch is gregoreo, which means to keep awake, to watch literally or figuratively, to be vigilant, to wake, to be watchful, Metaphorically, it means to give strict attention to, to be cautious, and to be active. Like, open your eyes. Pay attention. It's a big deal. Keep watch. Does any of this imply that when it comes to the end times, uh, it's cool if we just brush it off? Just dismiss it. Doesn't this sound like the opposite of being dismissive? Jesus clearly tells us we need to keep watch. Now, I have a list of some other scriptures too. Just I want to read because I don't want anybody to say, Matt, you're cherry picking a scripture to make your own point. I'm going to read the context of the New Testament about end times. Here we go. 1 Thessalonians verse, chapter 5, verse 1. Paul says, Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we don't need to write to you. We're good there. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like what? A thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, while people are dismissing it and be like, bro, he hasn't come for 2,000 years. We probably got another couple thousand. Just take, we got time. We're safe. There's peace about this thing. You don't need to freak out about the end time. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman. You ever seen, you know, that lady who's like, oh my God, I'm having a baby right now. That's what it's going to be like. And he says, they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters here at Pikes Peak Christian Church, everyone watching around the world, you are not in darkness. So that this day should surprise you like a thief. I'm telling you, it's coming. You know it's coming. Your eyes are open. You're children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep. But let us be what? Awake and sober. Don't be like everyone else is like peace and safety. Just dismiss it, man. It's no big deal. It's a conspiracy theory. Go down a couple verses to verse 19. He says this, do not quench the spirit. And pay attention to this verse right here. This is about as clear as you can get. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. I love black and white statements like that. I can follow that. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. That's what Paul says about end times. What about the apostle Peter? He says this, the end of all things is near. 
If you're honest, you don't have to raise your hand, but have you, have you ever driven by that dude on the uh, street corner with the sign that says, repent, the end is near, and rolled your eyes? Mocked him a little bit, like, get a, dude, get a life, man. You know he's quoting Peter. The end of all things is near, therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Now, I could keep going. There are more than this just for the sake of time. I'm just trying to show you. There are a lot of things that are saying, a lot of scriptures that say the same thing. Keep watch when it comes to the end, to prophecies. So with that as our context on how we are to approach end times prophecies, now we're going to go back to the prophecy in the book of Daniel chapter 9. And just a quick review. So this prophecy um, is Daniel receiving kind of like this strange message from the angel Gabriel. He's praying and he gets interrupted. And, and Daniel's saying, I mean, Gabriel's saying these kind of crazy things. And as we covered last week, it, it seems pretty clear that the prophecy in verse 25 and 26 is referring to who we now know is Jesus Christ as the anointed one. You remember that in, in that verse? The anointed one will come and he will be put to death. That's Jesus Christ. And he's a sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. That's what we, we celebrate every Sunday. But then in verse 27, it takes a turn. And it starts to talk about somebody else. Let's read that. Let's put up Daniel 9, 27. It says, he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he'll put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes Desolation. I want you to remember that term. An abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. All right. That's the verse where people are like, what the heck does that mean? So the question here is who is Gabriel talking about? We was just talking about Jesus as the anointed one. He'll have his life sacrificed. But let's ask this. Let's just think logically. Would Jesus set up an abomination of desolation in the temple? Of course not. So who could it be? The answer in this prophecy is not totally clear. If you just read Daniel 9, you're like, well, it could be anybody. But remember what I told you. We have this awesome advantage of having the rest of the Bible to help us interpret hard things like this and eventually figure out what, what the heck we're supposed to do about it. Like, okay, we figured it out, but uh, what? We're going to do this now. So skip back to Matthew chapter 24, where Jesus, remember, he's explaining the end times, okay? Did you know that in this chapter, Jesus specifically references this exact prophecy from Daniel? Did you know that? This was so cool. Let me show you. Verse 24, chapter 24, verse 15. Jesus says, so when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Like, I love that. It's so awesome. He's like, I just want to be crystal clear here so that nobody can misinterpret this. Well, it could have been this. It could have been that. It could have been. I'm talking about the abomination of desolation that Daniel talked about. He says, then, can everyone say then? Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to their cloak. Why? Why, Jesus? How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. 
Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. In other words, Jesus is saying things are going to get really, really bad, really bad when this abomination of desolation takes place. So when that happens, drop everything and run, right? Get away from whatever that thing is. It's a big deal. Jesus is putting a lot of attention and and pressure on this thing, like watch, keep watch, right? So this brings some questions to our mind. First question is what is an abomination of desolation? That's like a real churchy biblical word. Nobody talks like that. Man, my hamburger was an abomination today. Nobody talks like that. Well, what is that? All right, I'm going to give you the answer. But you have to wait. Just do me a favor. You have to wait to the end of the message for me to give you the evidence of, or, or the proof for this answer. It's a little bit backwards. I'm going to give you the answer first and then prove it later, okay? The Hebrew word for abomination as used in Daniel chapter 9 is shikutz, which means detestable thing or idol, an abominable thing, a detest, like something so horrible, a detestable thing, and so interesting that it also can mean an idol. I want you to remember that. That's what an abomination is. The Hebrew word for desolation is this word shamem, which means to be appalled, stunned, stupefy, like what? To be deflowered, be deserted, be awestruck, causing horror. So the abomination of desolation is something so detestable, it's an idol, and what people do with idols, they worship them, and it's going to cause horror. It is going to blow people's mind. You always say, man, I can't believe we, how bad things were. I never thought they'd get this bad. This is going to be the ultimate, where people are like, I'm stupefied. How in the world did this happen? In other words, the abomination of desolation is something that happens, first of all, in the most holy place, the temple in Jerusalem, that is so egregiously blasphemous that it will turn the world on its head. And as we'll see in the book of Revelation, it will be committed by the Antichrist or the beast. But I'll show you that later. Okay, that's a little teaser. That's coming. So that's what the abomination of desolation is. Here's another question just from reading though. Could this have already happened? Like, did this happen or is it going to happen in the future? I don't know. Hard to tell. Let's find out. Let's look at Jesus' specific words. Jesus is saying, when you see the abomination of desolation, blah, 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 then flee to the mountains. When this happens, then go do something. So it's clear that he is prophesying that this will happen in the future. Okay, who cares? Why, why is this important? Here's why. There are a lot of good Bible-believing Christians out there that believe that the abomination of desolation actually happened before Jesus said this. In 167 before Christ, B.C., there was a Greek king named Antiochus Epiphanes, and he went into the temple in Jerusalem, the most holy place, and he sacrificed a pig on the altar. Now, if you know anything about the Jewish law and requirements for purity and holiness, this was an infraction on so many levels and an act of blasphemy so severe, it was considered an abomination. 
in the most holy place. Like, dude, you're asking for it. But when Jesus speaks about it 167 years later, does he say, hey, you guys remember when that happened with Antiochus Epiphanes? Like, remember that already happened? No. He says, it's going to happen in the future. Okay, who cares? That was like a random historical moment. No, here's why this is important for us to remember. Even though the Antichrist has not been revealed yet, we don't know who he is and when he's going to come on the scene, there is always the spirit of the Antichrist roaming the earth in every generation. You need to know that. Very important. Here's where I'm getting this from John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 2. He says, this is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. Easy. I like easy things to understand. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. How can both of those things be true? He's coming. He's already here. We'll figure that out in just a second. But this is what you really need to know. This is where things get really practical for you. The spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world. And he has been in the world every generation. And I believe that's what was happening in 167 B.C. So even though what Antiochus Epiphanes did in 167 B.C. was absolutely horrible and it was inspired by the spirit of the Antichrist, it was not the abomination of desolation that Daniel prophesied and Jesus referenced as happening in the end times. So, the question remains, well, when will it happen? And by the way, how am I going to know? Let's keep reading Jesus' words to find out. Go back to Matthew 24, verse 22. Remember, he's talking about the end times. It's going to be worse than you could ever imagine, never be equaled again. And he says, if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. Verse 23, at that time, pay attention, this is for you. If anyone says to you, look, here's the Messiah, or, or there he is, what's he say? Do not believe it. I hope you heard that. Do not believe that. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and get this and perform great signs and wonders to what? Deceive. I'm going to read that again because it's coming back later. They will perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. And he finishes by saying, see, I have told you ahead of time. It's coming. See, are your eyes open? Wake up. Come on. See, keep watch. Don't fall for it. Don't be deceived. Keep watch. All right. You made it this far. Good job. Take a second. Take a breath. That's a lot of information. Let's just take a minute to pause and consider, why did I come to church today? What does this have to do with me? Why is this important? That's a fair question. And I'm going to answer that for you. What Jesus is saying here is that the spirit of the Antichrist is currently at work. And at some point, it will embody an actual person. Okay? 
This person will be so influential and so convincing that people will actually believe that he is the Messiah. In fact, Jesus says that there will be, quote, many false prophets and false messiahs along the way. This is the world we live in right now. And people will be inclined to believe them in great numbers. Anybody notice that happening in our world? And then this final false messiah will take advantage of the gullibility of the people and their belief in him by standing in the temple and actually claiming to be God. You gotta have some stones to do that. They thought in 167 BC that what that dude, he cut that pig's head off in the, in the temple, like that was, hor- that was nothing compared to this guy standing in the temple and saying, I am God. This will be the abomination of desolation. And that person will be the Antichrist. And Jesus is warning us by saying, do not believe it, church. I'm telling you ahead of time. This is why he came to church today. Be forewarned. Don't believe it. Why? Because he knows that there will be insane cultural pressure put on all of us to believe in this Antichrist. How many know high school, there was a fair amount of peer pressure to do things you didn't want to do? Yeah. How many remember 2020? That was some pretty serious pressure in that year. That was nothing compared to what this is going to be. Nothing. And Jesus is like, keep watch, don't believe it. Because if you fall for it, the consequences are severe. The Antichrist will usher in the final seven years prophesied in Daniel 9 that the book of Revelation refers to as the Great Tribulation, where the consequences for falling for this are very severe. Let's take a look. Let's go to Revelation chapter 13. Remember, People in the Old Testament, they didn't have the advantage to read this stuff and, and put the puzzle pieces together, but we do. You're doing good. You're still, nobody left yet. That's awesome. <laughs> Revelation 13, verse 11. Um, this is the Apostle John writing this. It is a prophetic vision of the future. And there's a lot of symbolic, metaphorical language in here that we could totally get derailed if we try to figure out what everything means. But I'll just say this, that he's speaking about two different beasts. And I believe that, the, that those symbolize human men who are leaders, okay? When he talks about the beast, it's a man, okay? So verse 11. Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, spoke like a dragon. Don't worry about that. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast. I don't want to skip over that. What does he do? He makes the earth and inhabitants Worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. Remember what Jesus said as I read this next verse. And it performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of the people. What did Jesus say? There's going to be false prophets and false messiahs who will perform great signs and wonders to deceive. There it is right there in Revelation. Verse 14, because of the signs, it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast. It what? Deceived the inhabitants 
of the earth. It ordered them. It forced them. It made them set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. Church, this is the abomination of desolation. Prophesied by Daniel, then reinforced by Jesus himself. Anytime you're wondering, what was that again? It's right there in Revelation. Now, a little side note. It's really interesting, again, doing some history, is that there are, again, a lot of good Bible-believing Christians out there who believe that what I just read has already happened. They think there's historical fact that in the year 70 AD, after death, the Roman army destroyed the Jewish temple in Jerusalem, and it has not been rebuilt to this day. That's fact. So it's pretty easy to draw this conclusion, like, that, that qualifies. Because the attack on the most holy place is an abomination, and it quite literally left it in desolation. Well, here's the issue. We have a timeline problem. The destruction of the temple happened, as I said, 70 AD, but then John wrote the book of Revelation 20 to 25 years later. It is a prophecy of what is to come. John's not saying, hey, remember 20 years ago when that happened? He said, it's coming, not what has already happened. So the destruction of the temple cannot be the fulfillment of the abomination of desolation prophecy. Now, we don't have time to do this, but if you want to go back to Daniel 9 and 25, 26, I believe it is prophesied in there what happened in 70 AD. That was fulfilled, just not verse 27. You can go read that on your own. Again, why is this important? Who cares? Here's why. Jesus is warning us of the battle that you and I will face every day of our lives. The spirit of the Antichrist is already here, deceiving And remember, he will perform these great signs and wonders just to deceive you. And Jesus is like, keep watch, don't fall for it, don't fall for it. It's going to be bad if you do. And if we believe that the abomination of desolation already happened in 70 AD when it hasn't yet, then we open ourselves up to the very deception that Jesus warned against. And we can fall into the temptation that, like what Paul said, people are just walking around peace and safety, man. It happened a long time. It was like 70 AD. It already happened. Jesus still hasn't come back. What? I got time. No need to worry about it. Peace and safety. Jesus is saying, don't fall for that. As we see in the next verses, if we fall for this deception, the consequences, as I said, are severe. Revelation 13 and 15. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. And I don't have time, but it goes on and on saying like, you won't be, if you don't worship the Antichrist, you won't be able to buy anything. You won't be able to sell anything. They're going to mark you so they know where you stand. There's nowhere to hide. Either you have a 666 on your hand or your forehead, or you worship Yahweh. Let's kill him. The consequences are insane. It's going to be a crazy time. Crazy time. That's it. Did you know all of that was in Daniel 9, verse 27? One verse. Isn't that amazing? 
See how cool the advantage is to like read the whole Bible? These prophecies are here for a reason. They were written down, included in your Bible for your benefit. Do not dismiss them, church. Do not write them off as irrelevant or too hard to understand. I got TikTok brain. I can't focus that long. Yes, you can. God gave you that brain. Use it. Look, you made it oh, 25 minutes. You're doing great. These prophecies are written for this exact purpose, to turn people to Jesus. Amen? That's what Pastor Ross preached last week. This is the point over and over and over and over in the prophecies in your Bible, to turn people to Jesus. And we are to keep watch with the signs of the times that we live in because there are millions of people around us right here in this state who are living on borrowed time, right? Going to heaven is not a guarantee unless you have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus. The fact that we don't know when Jesus will return is actually one of the most motivational things to get me off my butt and tell as many people about him as possible and as soon as possible. We have a, a, a mission at our church to help more people more often say, come on. This prophecy motivates that, right? If you dismiss the end times prophecies in your Bible and you live your life acting like there's some sort of conspiracy theory, then you're missing the point, man. That is not the point. We are to keep watch. Amen? Now, just to close today, I want to ask you, who is somebody in your life that hasn't given their life to Jesus yet? I want you to put their name in your head. You know, there's probably a couple. I want you to see their face in your head. They're living on borrowed time. I want to talk to the men in the room just for a minute. Men, we are called to keep watch over and to lead our families spiritually. That is your job. How are your children? I'm not talking about, like, are they healthy? Do they have fun at school? How is their relationship with God? Do they know about Jesus? Have you preached the gospel to your kids? Because you know what? That's your job. And you know what? It's a great privilege because your kids love you and trust you and will believe you. How are your kids? It's our job to keep watch. Listen, it's time. Everyone say, it's time. It's time that we stop acting like we have time. Like we could deal with it later. Let's just kick it down the road, man. We've got a thousand years probably. Let's have fun. That is not the message that we see from Daniel. That's not the message we see from Jesus Christ. And that's not the message we see from Paul. It's not the message we see from John in the book of Revelation. Keep watch. Jesus is coming back. Amen? I won't bow down to idols. Woo. I'll stand strong and worship you. If it puts me in the fire, I'll rejoice because you're there too. Dude, that was the message. I won't be formed by feelings. 
I'll hold fast to what is true. Because if the cross brings transformation, you can hang me there with you. Who's willing to say, I won't worship anybody else but Yahweh. You can kill me if you want to. Because death is just the doorway into resurrection life. And if I join you in your suffering, then I'll join you when you rise. And when you return in glory, with all the angels and the saints, my heart will still be singing. My song will be the same. Oh, Christ be magnified. Woo! Woo! I didn't have to preach. They just sang it. Oh, I love that song. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We know that even though the spirit of the Antichrist is alive in the earth, greater is he that is living in me than he that is in the world. Let's just pray just for a minute, just to close out. God, we sense that you're, you're here, you're moving. There's power in the declaration of your word. And I thank you, it's cut into the heart right now. It's just so powerful and so real. <clears throat> thank you, Jesus. And with your eyes closed, I just want to give a moment to give you the opportunity today <clears throat> to give your life to Jesus. Listen, Jesus could come back on Tuesday. He could come back today. He could come back in a couple years. We don't know, but we do know for sure the death rate for the human race is 100%. And if you were to die today, you will face your creator. How's that conversation going to go? I bowed to the idols. Or I gave my life to you. Thank you for forgiving me. If you want it to be the latter, and have your life and your sins forgiven. On the count of three, could you raise your hand? One, two, three. Woo, all over. All over the house. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Bless you guys, man. Thank you, God. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the, the commitment shown this morning to the, from these people. Thank you, Jesus. You can open your eyes. I'm going to ask uh, our prayer partners to come forward. And if you raise your hand today, we want to pray with you. Pray a prayer of salvation. Say, Jesus, I'm giving my life to you. That's it. That's all you got to say. I'm giving my life to you. We have a baptismal right here, nice warm water. You can get baptized today as an outward symbol of giving your life to Christ. Here's a convicting scripture. Listen to this before you get your stuff and get ready to go. Jesus says, if you confess my name before man, I will confess your name to my heavenly father. How many want that to happen? That's why we do it, but before man. But he says, if you deny me before man, I will deny you 
before my heavenly father. That's why we do public baptisms. If you have the stones, you have the boldness and the courage to say, I'm standing for Jesus. I'm going to live for him no matter the cost. I raised my hand when he said, if I die for him at church, that's your public declaration. We got, ba- we got uh, swimming suits, shirts, towels, hair dryers, whatever you need, all your excuses. We got it covered. We'll baptize you today. All right. We'll pray one more time and we'll dismiss. You can come forward for prayer. We give you all the glory, Jesus. You're awesome. We love you so much. Christ, be magnified from the altar of my life. This is a living sacrifice of praise for your glory. In Jesus' name, if you agree, can you say amen?